Hello and welcome. Tony Hackett is my name, and I'm your host at the Startups Roundtable, where we get to speak with founders and other people involved in the startup ecosystem. Valeria Inativa is co-CEO and co-founder of Work180, which was created with a mission to empower every woman to choose a workplace where they can thrive. Work180 connects women with progressive employers by pre-screening companies on the amount of paid parental leave, pay equity, flexible working, and much more. Transparency around these policies is driving incredible change. On average, once every three weeks, a Work180 endorsed employer improves a policy or benefit. In this conversation, we get to understand and learn from Valeria's relentless focus on diversity, inclusion, and social impact. So let's get started. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Tony. Great to virtually meet you. My name's Valeria, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Work180, which is a platform that essentially has flipped the traditional job boards market on its head. So before companies advertise their jobs with us, they're actually pre-screened on a bunch of criteria questions that women find most valuable when they research employers, and that's including things like rental leave, flexible working conditions, women in leadership programs or targets, and there's about 30 different criteria that we look for. We've operated in Australia for nearly six years now and in the UK for nearly three years, two years, three years, it's all rolled into one. And the US, we opened up in March 2020, so right in the midst of COVID, and definitely have changed plans in terms of being on the ground in the US, so doing that remotely at the moment. And in terms of companies that have come on board with us, if they do pass the criteria, they advertise their jobs with us, and women can see for themselves what's on offer before they apply. And the companies that don't meet the criteria are supported to improve. And overall, we have companies who improve, introduce, or change a policy once every three weeks. So an employer would change a policy once every three weeks, sometimes even more frequently. That actually hasn't changed through COVID. So it's really wonderful to see companies introduce, you know, gender-neutral parental leave, increase their paid parental leave, look at how they can support their employees with mental health initiatives and all sorts of other initiatives that I'm sure we'll touch on in this conversation. I had a look at your website and I was blown away by the ease of use in being able to go and look for a role, knowing that the criteria had already been covered off by you and by your organisation. So I thought the user experience was fantastic. It seems very fundamental for us to be talking about this in 2020 we wind back six years ago. Could you maybe just reflect on that for a moment and talk about what it was like then and how you had the confidence yourself to take that first step to get underway? You know, I've had the lived experience of, as a single parent, my son's got cerebral palsy, so it was really difficult to find a rewarding career that was also flexible enough for me to take care of him and to be present there. So I've experienced the pain of going through the process without knowing whether an employer was open to speaking about flexible working. And that's why one of the criteria we have is, are they open to discussing flexible working at interview stage? So we don't ask you to guarantee flexible work because that's not possible with every role, but just that, you know, conversation. So I guess when you have that lived experience, it's very, I guess, easy to start something with a lot of passion and drive, and that will carry you through ultimately. So my co-founder also had different experiences in the workplace, and that's what gave us the courage to help other women and men as well who use our site, you know, to take that leap of faith and build something that was purely built on that passion initially. To take the step then to build that in Australia and then start to move globally, what were some of the surprises, both good and bad, as you started to bridge out of Australia to other parts of the world? 
Our biggest learning when launching the UK was around our criteria. So we had gone into that market with the same criteria we had spent years developing in Australia. So we had nearly 30 questions and we quickly found that that was really daunting to the employees over there who've never been asked those questions before. So we had to rethink the approach and reduce the questions and then add them later on as companies grew more comfortable and, you know, picked up the pace. So I'd say, you know, my kind of tip to anyone else expanding is, Really look at the things that you're trying to replicate in a different market and consult with the experts over there as well and have a think about how that could translate to the new market and what the pros and cons could be. The word confidence is one that has come through as I looked at your business and hearing you speak now. You work to bring confidence to those that you look to serve. How do you do that and how do you help people turn up knowing that they're not 20 steps back, that they're actually right at the line with everybody else? I guess transparency is key. Often employers come to us saying things like, we know we're not perfect. We don't even know if we should be on your site. And nobody's perfect. No no single company is perfect. And we have some companies on the website that expose everything from their engagement scores. And sometimes they're not great either. But there's one company, for example, who you can see year on year, they're slowly improving. And we know that consumers everywhere, regardless of what product they're considering and you know evaluating, they're much more open to seeing the good and the bad rather than everyone trying to masquerade around as if you're perfect, right? So I think transparency has really, really helped. And also equipping people with the knowledge of, you know, you don't have to worry about those questions that are taboo normally in an interview. So, you know, imagine turning up to an interview and you might be a woman who is considering starting a family soon and you're interviewing with a man, would you be comfortable asking, oh, by the way, even if it's a woman with a woman, but I've heard from job seekers that especially if it's a man, they're really uncomfortable saying, oh, what's your paid parental leave like, you know, and they can see all that information up front. So I think that instills a lot of the confidence. And also it's a great icebreaker for people who might want to discuss flexible working to say, hey, I noticed that you're on Work 180 and you've got all these things. Tell me, how does my potential future team access those arrangements and so on? And then you get a real taste of what the company is actually like. Because if they say things like, oh, you know, somebody might work from home once a fortnight, and I'm talking about pre-COVID days, and you kind of know that, okay, maybe they're not really walking and talking flexibility, or they might throw a few examples at you that really align with what you're looking for. Because women, I know for a fact, are so afraid to bring that up. And you're actually wasting everyone's time, including your own and the recruiter's time, if you save that till the very end. And then it turns out that's not a possibility. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, absolutely. It does. And it makes me think about in this COVID era that we're in now, what are some of the changes, be they subtle or maybe very severe, some changes that you've experienced over the last four or five months? We actually dropped back to four days a week during the midst of COVID for our staff. And then after when things went back to normal for us, we're now working on a nine-day fortnight. So everybody gets paid full-time and they have every second Friday off. So that was driven first by a product team who started to spend 5% of their time on developing things that are outside the roadmap, still for the company, but outside of the roadmap, didn't miss a beat on their delivery. And then other teams as well, they worked so hard and they didn't drop the ball anywhere. So we've introduced that recently. That's our own learning. Atlassian is doing really wonderful things with their team anywhere, I believe the project's called, and that is they're revamping around how they hire people so you could work anywhere in the world, wherever you're based for Atlassian, they're looking at all the things that make up that tricky piece of work, but they're exploring that because they are not getting people to come back to the office anytime soon, even when things are relaxed. 
very similar to the company I work with. I'm in a situation where I can actually go and attend the office, but the company's saying we're targeting mid next year before we start to plan for that. What they've also done, and just in the last day, is to put in place a series of internal, I'll call them events, to help people think through living the life, not just managing the life, but living the life, thinking through their careers, starting to think about maybe the way they are part of the workforce with the current employer and to think about it differently. I think it's just fantastic. And it's that level of education and nurturing that is so valuable. And I say this as a compliment to you. When I went to your site, that nurturing came through the way the information was presented, the ease with which I could navigate to get to an answer. It was really powerful. So the tech team and the developers that are doing that extra 5%, hats off to them. I think they're doing a sensational job. And the nine-day fortnight is brilliant. And there's a fair chance that, and I'm sure you're experiencing this, that people are still getting the work done because it's a professional, it's a focus, they feel part of a community, they feel valued, and so the effort still remains. Oh, the product team is amazing, and they're only a very small team. So the entire company is only about 35 people, Tony. So the team, everyone who sees how much they've smashed out in, say, 12 months are constantly amazed. They're just incredible. So they'll definitely be listening to this podcast and your feedback. Thank you. Yeah, they'll, they'll put that in with the, the pay increase request here. Yeah. Remember when that guy said? <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Yeah. Valeria, you talked about teams, and I did want to ask about that as well. When you started, take you back to that six years ago when you started and to now, what have been some of the learnings that you've taken on board about identifying people, building the team, and making decisions to bring you to that small team, but obviously very productive, 35 that has allowed you to take those steps into international markets? Yes, well, we've been hit with challenges, I guess, with COVID around not being able to even see the UK team, for example. That's been really tough. And, you know, we just actually hired our first US employee who's starting with us this week. And the whole plan was for my co-founder to actually relocate to the US for a little while. I was on my way there when COVID hit. So that's been really tough. And I guess it's challenging to try and get everybody aligned on the same time zone, for example, when you're working, and as I'm sure you're probably experiencing as well. It's been really a journey going from myself and my co-founder being the only people in the business for the first couple of years to just having 11 people for the first three years and now kind of doubling and you know growing really quickly. There's a time and a place when you focus on different areas of growth. So for us to have extensive processes when there was just a handful of us wouldn't have worked. And now it is. And it's always like trying to figure out what it is that we spend our time on. So we work on OKRs, for example, that helps keeps the teams focused and motivated and looking at how we can drive efficiencies across with different roles has also been an interesting exercise. So we have quite a large marketing team and we've recently figured out a way for them to kind of split into also focus areas when before it was just me doing all the marketing. So it's figuring out how to scale all the work that you did at the beginning through a whole team of people, but also figuring out when you shouldn't keep doing things the way that you've done in the past. So constantly questioning and challenging and bringing new people in with fresh eyes who would say, why are we doing things like that? And just because you've always done things that way as a small group could change. I hope that helps. Now you've in- introduced the, the answer. I think you're right. It is huge, but you've introduced it really well. It's also brought to mind this idea of where you are now and the confidence that you bring to your role and to the company, the ability for you to show vulnerabilities as a, I'll say a mature leader six years in versus at the start. 
How do you think through that now? And, and how do you identify the fears that you need to actually drive through yourself? And how do you do that? I think talking to people who have been where you have been really, really helps. So sometimes, you know, you might have a fear that is actually not that scary once you unpack it with somebody else who sometimes all you need is somebody to say, you know what, that is what you're meant to be doing right now. And my co-founder and I have always looked for mentors and guidance outside of our area of expertise. And you've got to know what you're comfortable with, where your strengths are, and you can invest time in learning something new or you can focus on your core strength and then get some help in those areas. I'm a big believer in always upskilling and learning, but for example, I'm not going to profess to be a finance expert and we've hired people who are really good at that. So I'll stick to my lane in other areas, but potentially. So I think it's just knowing where your strengths are and seeking external advice in a nutshell. (laughs) Does that actually guide how you think about the teams? And I want to ask you a question around strategy as well. So when you start to look at the next year, two years, three years, where do you look to for signposts and influences around strategy? And also, where do you go to look for the data that matters to you? We've had to collect a lot of that in order to raise capital. So you have your targets where we should be tracking and how we should be tracking. We've introduced Tableau, which is a great tool. So we collect a lot of data ourselves so we can actually see where the trends are going. And we collect a lot of policy data, obviously, as well. So we can see where globally things are going in terms of UK might be veering in one direction and Australia in another. And I guess always trying to hire people that are, to my earlier point, that are better at marketing, at sales, at every single area of the business. Because then you have our leadership team together looks at all areas of the business when we're devising the strategy and challenges different decisions that my co-founder and I might have proposed. We're very big on feedback. So everyone's open to providing feedback and receiving feedback as well. So we, we chip away at it together. And I think by bringing in, you know, all those great minds in that think differently as well is really important. That's team think is is really powerful. How have you found that during the last, say, six months when we've been almost exclusively on video conference calls, not being able to be inside the room to read the room or for the room to read you as well? Have you had to make any adjustments there that have been maybe not epiphanies, but some adjustments that have made you think about the future differently? Well, actually, we've been remote for our entire existence, Tony. So We do get together in person. We generally meet as a whole of company twice a year. So the last time we caught up was in December and we had a virtual conference instead in in July. The only thing that I would say is if somebody is acting a little bit differently on a video call, and I guess we're really good at knowing what we're like because we work together, I would pick up the phone and call them afterwards and just say, are you okay? And I've had people do the same to me. They just said, hey, you okay? You were a bit quiet. And then, oh yeah, I'm just tired or, you know, didn't have much to add to that because everyone already had it in, in hand. So yeah, I think it's really important to check in on each other, especially during this time. I'm not sure if that's, that's not very revolutionary. <laughs> I think it is because it's real and it's also executable. One thing I try to understand in these conversations are things that if somebody was listening to the conversation between us, what could they do themselves? And I think you've just hit it on the head. And that is not just relying on that single channel. And it really does come down to the person to person, the one to one communication at, at times to make sure that we, we have the pulse of each other as we collaborate as well. I know in my work situation, we've had the same. There's a, a very structured sales account teams. We come together and we do our collaboration there and we split up and we come back at different touch points. 
but also from my direct working with my manager, what you've just described has been very much that. Having said that, it was like that before and we're in different cities, but it's maintained that where it is very much a conversation. It's not about presentation. It's not about spreadsheets. It's about, so what's going on? What's on your mind? What do you want to talk about? And it has made it a very real checkpoint for me each week. So I think you've answered it brilliantly. One thing that you've touched on a little bit throughout, but I'd like to hit as a, as a key point, and that is around mentors and coaches, both what you look for and what your experience and learnings you'd share and what you would suggest to somebody if they were thinking about going and pursuing a mentor or coach. How they should go through that thought process, in your opinion? Well, I've enjoyed listening to the different answers that your guests have provided to this question, Tony, which I think they've talked about making sure that you don't expect one person to be an advisor across all areas of the business. I think that's very important. To add to that, I would recommend that you come prepared for your mentor. And I know I've been on both sides where as a mentee and a mentor, where if you give advice to someone as a mentor and they just kind of go off and don't really do anything. They don't have to follow everything, but at least explore or report back to you, then kind of think, okay, are we actually aligned here? So I know that mentors love it when my co-founder and I would come back and actually talk about, okay, this is what we've actioned since our last conversation. This is what we found and then discuss that. And I, I love that as a mentor as well, when people come back. And if they don't, you kind of do start to think whether or not it's a good fit. So make sure you do that. It's not just a conversation that you then go off and, and don't do anything about and then come back for more, if that makes sense. The other piece of advice I think could be useful to founders who are starting out and might not have the big network to draw on for experienced people is to have a peer mentoring relationship where you might be really, in my case, I was behind all the marketing at Work 180 and I mentioned early finance wasn't my strongest point. So I may have paired up with somebody else in my circle that wanted to learn from me and I could learn from them. So it's a really a nice exchange of information where you're not kind of essentially getting one person to mentor the other and you always get something back. But I think that could be a really deliberate way of getting skills in that area and also sharing your skills for somebody else who might be struggling. I've done that a little bit in the past, but we've been really lucky to be able to draw on an amazing network of really strong leaders in, you know, for example, right now we're talking to somebody about a data strategy and somebody who's, you know, the chief data officer role, for example, because we don't have that person in the company. So be really specific around what areas you need help with. A great answer. And it's one of the joys for me, by the way, is to hear the subtle differences. What you've described, though, in taking upon a peering approach, that's just a wonderful tip. You have also gone through and secured funding. What was that like for you? What did it feel like when you made the decision that that's what you were going to be doing? And then what did it feel like going through that process? My co-founder has done all the hard work in that regard. So for me, it was just, yeah, she's amazing. So she secured not this round, but the previous round when she was literally in the midst of giving birth to her son. So she was signing the term sheets whilst in labor. She's an amazing powerhouse in that regard. We did have an experience early on where we had an investor who was willing to give us a million dollars in exchange for removing our criteria process. So basically letting anyone on the platform, which was a difficult choice to make for about 30 seconds because it would have gone against everything we believed in. But it was also difficult because at that point in time, we had absolutely no money. We were not even 
paying ourselves. So it was the money was really needed at that point. But we said no. And then I'm so glad that we did because we went through the process afterwards and really were quite selective with who we ended up getting investment from because our investors are not only supporting us financially in that sense, they're also supporting us with advice and they really, really care and they really are amazing a group of people, which I've heard some horror stories out there in terms of who you get in bed with regarding investors. So yeah, it's been an amazing process. But like I said, my co-founder, I can't really say what it felt like because I was watching her do a lot of the hard work. But yeah, it's been incredible. And now that they're on board, they've been really valuable to support us in all aspects. I think you've just described a moment where your core truth was tested and it became a case of, is that truly who we are or not? And you obviously came down on, yes, it is who we are on that side of the ledger. Valeria, it's been wonderful speaking. Some tremendous insights you've shared and I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time today. It'd be wonderful to stay in touch as well and I appreciate it. Thanks, Tony. Wonderful to speak with you. Thanks for joining me this week and I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Valeria as much as I did. Feedback is always appreciated. Thanks for listening and bye for now.